As we open our Bibles, we also open our hearts that these words of truth may fall upon the very fabric of our lives. May these ancient scriptures come alive within us to inspire, to heal, to cleanse, to teach, to restore, and to guide our hearts and minds. Lord, come weave your words of life in us. May we all feel safe with each other, safe to think and question, safe to ask for help, and safe to share our lives with you, our loving Heavenly Father. Amen. We have the joy this morning of hearing from Elizabeth Achilles, who's going to be teaching. Anyone else excited for Elizabeth to bring the word? Yeah. Me too. After, you know, a short hiatus, uh, she is back in the game. and I could not be more excited to have her bring a word today. The word she's going to be bringing is based out of Psalm 25. Hear the word of the Lord. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul, and you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways according to your love. Remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his way. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forever my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all of my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Elizabeth Achilles. I've been coming to Sanctuary since the literal day I moved here, seven and a half years ago. And I do mean literal. I drove from North Carolina to Rhode Island, moved my belongings out of my U-Haul, and then went straight to a home church with exactly no one I knew. It's the people that drew me to this church, and it's Sanctuary's belief in the authority of Scripture and the power of Jesus that kept me here. I'm a Christian psychotherapist. I do individual and couples therapy here in Providence. I'm a coach's wife, a mother, and a leader here at Sanctuary. And I'm also a Denver Broncos fan. 
I, uh, I brought a basket of items that I collected around the house last night. A Broncos hoodie. A Broncos t-shirt. This one belongs to my husband. A sweet Broncos baby onesie. Um, and a world champions Broncos country, the official championship commemorative book. I'm a fan. And to further display this fanship, I'm actually going to play, or Gabby's going to play rather, a four minute recording of a Zoom conversation that I had with my brother, Matthew. Good morning. Good morning. How's Hello. the weather in Colorado? Oh, it's hot here. How's it in Rhode Island? About the same. I, um, I, I called you a little bit ago to ask you to think of a few questions to ask me about the Denver Broncos. And I'm sure that was a very strange phone call to get on a Friday morning. But I, um, I'm wondering if we can kind of go back and forth a little bit and do a little bit of makeshift trivia. Yeah, Okay. Let's do it. Beautiful. Um, all right, I'm gonna go first. Tell me two to three players on their offensive line. Um, Garrett Bowles, Dalton Risner, Lloyd Cushenberry. That last name's real, I promise. <laughs> Cushenberry, nice. Sounds like Huckleberry. Yeah. Um, all right, hit me with a question. Um, who is the Denver Broncos kicker? I, it's so funny. That's one of the questions I asked you. Although I said punter. Are kicker and punter the same thing? No. no. They're different. <laughs> no, it's, like, it's like you never know that our brother played college football. Um, I don't know. I do not know who the Broncos kicker is. Um, but what I have for you is who's their kicker and where did he play before he was with the Broncos? Their kicker? Um, Brandon McManus. And I think temple i don't know as a guess sure so meaning like he 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 got drafted out of college as opposed to drafted from yeah, i don't think he played for a pro team before but he could have um well then who's their punter if the kicker and the punter are different people who's their punter Cam martin sure um i think it's your turn to ask me a question um who's our head coach I'm not kidding. That is my next question. <laughs> I said, who's the coach and where is he from? I don't know. I really don't. I, I think growing up, the head coach was Mike Shanahan. Well, he's got a steakhouse here for sure. So he's a legend. Um, it's, it's Nathaniel Hackett and he just came over from Green Bay. Go first, year, first year guy. Oh, all right. All right. Sure. Um, what jersey number does our cornerback wear? Which there are two defensive backs, one on each side. So maybe just yeah. pick one. Yeah. Uh, uh, number two, Patrick Sertan Jr. is PS2. And he wears a little PS2 controller around his neck. <laughs> Interesting. As opposed to a cross around the neck. There you <laughs> go. There we yeah. go. Pledging allegiance to yeah. video games. All right. We'll stick with numbers. What number, uh, what number was Vaughn Miller? 32. 58. Close enough. Um, what would you say was the Broncos' greatest asset last season? 
their general manager. The new one? Oh, no. George Payton. Different than the coach, right? Yeah. Confusing because in MLB, the general manager is the coach. You see where I went there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why, would, why would you say that the manager was their greatest asset? I think that uh, he had a really, he's new uh, and he had a really good first draft last year. And uh, yeah, and this year he traded for Russell Wilson, which is what the Broncos have needed as a quarterback for a long time. Welcome to Denver, Russell and yeah. Sierra. I think it's Sierra, but I always get correct. Wow. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I should know that. Maybe yeah. next Friday we'll do one of these on pop culture and yeah, I probably yeah. still invite, the, invite a different sibling to yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. In case that conversation didn't make it clear, I know little to nothing about the Denver Broncos. I have stories about the Denver Broncos and how they're important to my family and growing up in Colorado. I'm a fan, but my brother, he's a follower. I have nothing to lose by not knowing anything about the Denver Broncos. I have everything to lose by not knowing anything about Jesus. I have nothing to lose by not following the Denver Broncos. I have everything to lose by not following Jesus. And yet so many Americans are walking around with a literal or metaphorical basket of Jesus swag. The Bible verse on their Insta bio, the cross around the neck, the statement from that person you met on Hinge when he says, yeah, I believe in God, it's really cool that you go to church. My concern is that people are fans of Jesus but know nothing about him. My concern is that we don't even know what we don't know or that we don't know what others don't know. And it, it might seem silly, but I really mean it. Many of us don't know what our close friends or family members really think about who Jesus is, why Jesus came, or what Jesus has done. And I have conducted enough premarital counseling and couples therapy to learn that many people don't fully know or understand what their fiancé or spouse really believes about these things. Today we're going to walk through three verbs that take one from fanship to followership. Fanship to followership. Three verbs. Know, believe, choose. And by the time we close in worship today, my hope and prayer is that you have a real understanding of why followership is the ultimate form of rest, which is the topic of our current sermon series, and journey through the Psalms. And we're going to use the Psalm from today's reading, as well as scripture from the New Testament, to walk us through how to move from fan to follower. Psalm 25 is a Psalm of David. It's a lament that opens with praise and closes with a request. So our first verb is know. Know that we are sinners. There was a perfect design for the world. Humans messed it up with something called sin. And 
everyone is living with the temptations, realities, and consequences of sin. And David's aware of his sin. He says in verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. Jesus said something similar in Luke 5. He said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So his uprightness doesn't keep him from sinners. It draws him to sinners. That's me. That's you. That's all of us. I think I had a tough time with this in my early 20s. In my idealism, I wanted to believe that we're inherently good people. But we're just not. Of course, God initially designed the entirety of creation, humanity included, as good. We're told as much in book one of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And even now, after the fall, we're reflections of our creator made in his image, and in that way, we are good. But the reality is we sin, which is to say that we fall short of God's standard every single hour of every single day. Sanctuary often describes sin as legitimate longings that have gone astray. We live in a world that has gone astray. Look around. The shooting in Texas, the parade outside of Chicago, the sin. But also, look, look in your own heart and at your own behavior, because I'm not just talking about big sin in the world, I'm talking about sin in us. I spent more time curling my hair this morning than I have thinking about how to truly care for the poor this year. Look at our children. I've only been a parent for two years, but I can remember that slow but somehow fast transition as our daughter was coming out of the snuggly blob of a baby into her humanity, and realizing that she has little to no desire to share with others, listen well, not envy others' things, or demand that she wants this when she wants it, (laughs) or even to tell the truth. She's a 21-pound lightning bug of joy and wonder, and I love her, and she's a sinner. In verse 11, David admits his guilt. He says, For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. He asks to be pardoned, not for his sake, but for God's. Surely it's for his sake too, but this shows us that when God pardons his sinners, it displays God's character as one who is loving, patient, forgiving, merciful. So by pardoning sinners, the sinners blessed and God's character is displayed on high. The second verb is believe. Believe in the gospel, the good news. Verse 22 of Psalm 25 says, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Israel is a name used nearly 2,500 times in the Bible. The primary thread throughout the Bible is the redemption of humanity. And Israel is at the center of that story. Those who identified with that name were God's people chosen for a purpose. And that's what Israel ultimately means, God's people. 
David is calling for human redemption, which is exactly what God ultimately does once and for all. How? Through the gospel. The word gospel literally translated means good news. And if you grew up Catholic, which I did, then you might know that gospels as the reading that, that comes after the first and second reading and before the homily at a mass, which it is. It's the reading from one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're all books in the Bible that detail the life of Jesus. And they're called gospels because Jesus is the good news. At Sanctuary, we believe that God the Father sent his son Jesus to live, die, defeat death through his resurrection to redeem all creation. And the night before he died on the cross, Jesus told his best friends, it's better that I go because the Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit, the, the great counselor, the great advocate is coming. And the Spirit is the third person of God who will come and literally take up residence in your body. He will guide and guard and counsel you if you believe in Jesus. I love the way that Sanctuary articulates the gospel. The good news is that God the Creator has come to rescue us from sin and renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf to establish his kingdom through his people and the power of the Holy Spirit. Pastor and author Tim Keller says this, and these words ring true as his often do. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So if you're still with me, I've established that we're sinners in need of rescuing. God sent Jesus to do the rescuing. But how are we rescued, and what are we rescued from? This is the piece that takes us across the threshold from fan to follower. This is the piece that takes us into true rest. But before I answer these questions, I have a confession. When Andrew asked me to preach on rest, I began brewing up a talk on what feels natural for me to speak on, cognitive rest. My, my thesis was that true rest comes from a mind that is centered not on the self, but on the Lord. And I prepared a sermon, admittedly, with very little true consultation with the Lord, that wove together scripture with research on neurobiology and my training in various forms of therapy. And then through an unexpected string of events, reading the shocking obituary, of a colleague, conducting a jolting premarital counseling session that brought me to my knees, sitting with a dear friend in her life-size grief, attending the lovely but complicated memorial service of one of my relatives. I found myself catapulted into a different direction and an altogether different sermon. And God gave me this sermon by reminding me that while true rest does come from an upward posture of Christian mindfulness, the truest rest comes from our salvation. Cognitive rest, important. Eternal rest, 
imperative. The morning after I decided to change my sermon, I woke up with like a pit of fire in my stomach and a deep pain in my chest. My husband was out of town for four days and I was alone with our girls. Um, and I had never experienced true panic before. Every day this week, I battled excruciating physiological panic. It was as if the dominoes around me were just falling and my body was getting hijacked. One night I called Grant and I said, I don't want to see clients tomorrow. I don't want to preach this weekend. I don't want to do it. I cannot do it. And after very patiently listening to me come undone and validating all of my feelings and the torment of it all, because he is, after all, the husband of a couples therapist, he said, don't quit. And I immediately knew what he meant. He meant, don't let him win. Don't let Satan win. Grant reminded me that it wasn't the anxiety that I was fighting, it was the enemy. Now please don't hear me say that all depression or all anxiety is a direct attack from the enemy. But scripture says that there is one, that Satan is real and he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I truly believe he has a lot to gain by convincing me that I'm not good enough or smart enough or brave enough to preach this sermon. I truly believe he has a lot to gain by us being fans, but not followers. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. The Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I don't share in this eagerness to boast in my weaknesses or delight in my hardships, but I'm trying. And I am certain that Christ's power, not mine, is sufficient enough to share these truths with you today. Which brings us to the third verb, choose. Let's hang on a moment while I utilize this baby onesie. I knew this was going to come in handy. Psalm 25, 5 says, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, and my hope is in you all day long. David, author of most of the Psalms, lived centuries before Paul, author of most of the New Testament. And in Psalm 25, David prays for the very things that Paul preaches, redemption, mercy, salvation. So these words were written well before Saul the persecutor of Christians had a radical encounter with Jesus and became Paul, spiritual titan. So Paul, murderer turned martyr, wrote the very words 
that I just read from 2 Corinthians. And he also wrote these words to a church in Ephesus that still holds so much power for us today on this hot Sunday morning in the year 2022. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the curl. <laughs> Thanks, Lawrence. Appreciate you. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm going to hone in on a section of this passage and read just a few verses again. And this time I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Truly. Tuck away your phones. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up in him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. You can open your eyes. I'm going to ask a question, and it's going to sound terribly cliche, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And when I do, I would like your response to be so loud that if anybody ever actually listens to the sermon on the podcast, they can hear you. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. My mom will appreciate that. Church, there is a heaven. There is a heaven. And you don't get there by being a good or good enough person. You get there because you choose Jesus. John 14, 6, he is the way, the truth, and the life. By grace, getting what we don't deserve, through faith, faith is belief in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, we receive eternal life. So grace is getting what we don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. I'm going to say that again. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, salvation, and mercy is not getting what we do deserve, 
separation. And through the gospel, we get both grace and mercy. We either live with Jesus in heaven forever, or we don't. So when I said I have nothing to lose by following the Denver Broncos, but I have everything to lose by not following Jesus, I meant it. If I have a basket of Jesus gear, but I don't know him, I don't believe that he is and brought and brings the good news. If I don't choose him, then I don't get to experience that grace and that mercy. It's faith. That's it. And as Tim Keller, resident pastor of my heart, says, it is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. It's not a performance, and it's not magic. It's a choice. Do I want to choose Jesus? Do you want to choose Jesus? You can. You can, you can choose him now, right now. That's literally why I'm here speaking today, because I'm inviting you to choose him. And if you have chose him, then I want you to do what Jesus urged us to do in Matthew 28, which is to make disciples of all nations. And that doesn't have to mean go on an international mission trip. That can mean look around and ask, who in my life is not truly at rest? Who in my life needs the truth of Jesus and the companionship of the Holy Spirit? I cannot think of a rest more important than the rest in our salvation. Eternal rest. Oftentimes, the more you learn about someone or something, the more you love them. Love is an important piece that differentiates fan from follower. So the more my brother Matt knows about the Broncos, the more he loves them. And the more he loves them, the more he wants to know about them. I bet you have an experience like this with someone or something. It's how I feel about my husband, my clients, about a family member I spent a lot of my life angry with. The more time and energy and heart I give to knowing them, the more deeply I care about them. When you follow Jesus, you just want to know him. And when you know him, you just want to follow him. And your love for him, it's just everything. And I hope that happens for you and for the people you love. I'm going to invite the band up as we prepare to close. And as they come up, I'm going to go ahead and uh, put on this hoodie. It's a very bold move for July 17th. This is your first time at church. I don't know what to say. I only preach like once every two and a half years, so please come back. You're good until like 2025. I'm putting this on to close because I'm wondering if you're the person walking around wearing this sweatshirt with little to no understanding of what it means to be a follower.
Are you living in the false reality that your brother, your dad, your girlfriend, your roommate, your cousin, your coworker, your neighbor, many of whom own a sweatshirt just like this, maybe not just, it's a metaphor, many of whom own a basket of literal or metaphorical Jesus swag actually know that Jesus is Savior. Our home churches meet in homes all over the city, and they help us be followers of Jesus. And this week at home group, home church rather, we made a switch from home group to home church. I'm still, still working on it. We made that switch because we believe that church isn't just what happens here on a Sunday. It's what happens in the in-between. It's what happens when we get together and we learn and we speak and we ask questions and we wrestle. And this week at Home Church, we're going to learn more about how to share by telling our stories. That's the power of testimony. By sharing the truth. That's the power of scripture. And you can go to one, even if you haven't been in a while or you've never been, or it may be, hey, you just moved here today and you know no one, go. I did it once. But even if you don't make it to a home church this week, listen, listen. You can tell your roommate what you believe. You can pull up Ephesians 2 on your phone and read it to your sister. You can text that friend you've known forever and say, listen, I don't have all the right words. I don't have all the right answers. But this is really important to me, and I want to share it with you because I love you. And then you can send them a link to this podcast if you're feeling brave. Or on second thought, maybe one of Andrew's or Tim Keller's would be better. But you can do it. You can share. And it doesn't have to be a one-time mic drop of a conversation. It can be a dialogue, and it should be an ongoing dialogue. Here's what's kept me from sharing. I don't have the answers. I don't know the Bible well enough. That person knows my darkest sins. I don't want to offend them, or I don't even know where to begin. And those are realities. I've been there. I'm still there. But they're not reasons to stay quiet when we have the literal key to eternal rest and we're withholding it but pretending that we're not by wearing our Christianity? Will you stand? When we go to a big sports game or an epic concert, we can't stay seated. We rise to our feet and we cheer. We move and we sing and we clap because that's what worship is. If you feel at all moved by what I shared today, I want you to come to the front during or after worship to pray with one of our leaders. And if you're a leader and you're not on the prayer team, just come up, be here, pray. Whether that's because you want to move from fan to follower or you want your words, your actions, your relationships to help the people you love 
move from fan to follower. We want to pray with you. We want to be a church that follows Jesus. Can I get a? Amen. Thanks, church.